Hello. If you're hearing my voice right now, then you have stumbled onto the podcast where real stories of professional criminal profilers are told by professional assholes. Welcome to Profiling Pain. What's up, profilers? I know it's been a while. Uh, I think the last time um, we put out a recording was possibly February, February or maybe early March. Uh, this is your host, Chris Payne. I'm actually flying solo on this one. Rocio and Fuego with the uh, quarantine and all the things that they got going on. And uh, I'm actually middle of the night on a Saturday night in my closet uh, recording this because um, I've got three very loud kids and they're all sleeping at the moment. And I don't want to risk waking them up by doing this in the kitchen. So um, I am now a closet podcaster. So this is this is where I'm at. Uh, Rocio and Fuego should be on the next major episode. Um, we're getting all that figured out audio-wise. Um, but I, I couldn't stand going another fucking month without you guys uh, having something new to listen to from us. Um, we, we keep getting plenty of downloads. We keep getting plenty of, of comments and stuff. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's actually really cool to uh, uh, see that it's still kind of going. It's still, it's still growing even without us being uh weekly or even even so much as just fucking monthly distributors um let's see uh i've spent the last two days straight going back over the ted bunny tapes and watching those again and man man uh, interesting very very interesting but before we get into that um there's there's been a lot there's there's been a lot going on in the world uh personally for me there's been a lot of changes um some good some very bad um but I, I mean, we're we're working through it. Uh, Country-wise, uh, America's a fucking laughing stock. <laughs> um, I mean, just be, between the way we dealt with Corona, um, what's going on with uh, Black Lives Matter, and the very very obvious social injustices that do happen. Um, personally, I feel it's a it's a case by case basis, though. Uh, maybe a state by state basis. I don't know, but I mean. Uh, there's sometimes we can sit back and be like, all right, all right, come on, you're you're making a mountain out of a molehill, and there's other times where you're almost like, all right, that was fucking blatant. Like anybody else? No, nobody, nobody saw that. No, show of hands, nothing. Quiet in the back. All right, but now now it's actually getting brought to the forefront um, with a lot of different things, um, which is which is good. I mean, it, it sucks that uh, these conversations only happen in the midst of tragedy. Um, it also sucks that. Uh, the entire world witnessed George Floyd lose his life, and I've heard the argument that it didn't have to happen that way. Uh, outside of the shitty cop not being a shitty cop, or a potential racist, um, and the fact that people sat there and held their phones up and watched uh, prior or instead of of doing anything, and were very quick to repost, and the whole world got behind that. Um, but we've already talked about. Uh, situations like that on previous episodes where it, it's almost uh, it's called like bystander syndrome if you guys recall we discussed that uh, during the alphabet murders case so go back to the season one finale and and we kind of touch on that a little bit um, let's see uh, what else is I mean murder hornets Beirut uh, um, by the way uh, prayers prayers to Beirut you guys are wow that watching that was I mean, I I read somewhere that the effects were felt like 200 miles away. I mean, maybe more. Windows blown out. I saw a lot of the photos and the videos of the aftermath. That's insane. Um, so 
so prayers and good vibes to you guys. Um, all the cases of corona for some of you countries out there that listen that are still battling it. Uh, keep keep fighting. Hope you guys figure it out. Uh, if you guys recall, actually, last episode, <laughs> um, I had said that this wouldn't last any longer than two weeks. And uh, I believe I even said you could quote me on that. And I hope none of you quoted me on that because uh, I don't think I've ever been so damn wrong in my life. Um, holy shit, if I had known what was actually coming our way, I don't think I would have been so arrogant and said something so retarded, but I, but I did. And, uh, well, look, they can't get put in word gel, so I guess there's that. Um, another thing that's been brought to light, uh, and, and I believe it's, it's happening across the world, but in America right now we have a hashtag, Save Our Children. Um, they, they, there's been a lot more, uh, people getting on board with, with trying to, uh, stop human trafficking. And I don't think so much that it's, it's never been on people's minds. I don't think that it's, it's something that nobody's ever thought about. Um, there's just, uh, seems to be a lot of things happening. I mean, obviously with the Epstein case, um, which we are going to cover, we are going to get into that. That's going to be, uh, it's one of those things where I don't know if I want to start putting out little bits and details of it or if it's something I want to do as an entire episode, so we'll see. Um, but I am on the side of he did not kill himself. I know that that's very conspiratorial. Uh, but, I mean, he could have very well killed himself and was allowed to do so because he was just a fucking piece of shit. But at the same time, how many people stood to lose everything if he spoke? Um, not just him, but uh, Ghislaine Maxwell... Uh, where everybody's waiting for her to flip and see what comes out on that. Um, the amount of conspiracy that has been behind those two names is just ridiculous. I mean, Hollywood, our government, probably foreign fucking governments. I mean, it's all over the goddamn place. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of people who are actually coming out against QAnon and a lot of people with the whole Wayfair thing. I don't. You're going to have to Google it yourselves. I'm going to get into QAnon. I'm going to talk about QAnon today. Um... You know how I, I we typically on profiling pain like to discuss current events and I don't need to talk about Corona. You guys hear about Corona every fucking day. Um, I don't need to talk about this current election or how I feel about it because we're not a political podcast. Even though it's a giant fucking dog and pony show across the board on both sides. Um, our 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 president uh, withholding billions of dollars of funding to our United States Postal Service because of mail-in ballots when. We're also supposed to be quarantined and uh, where I'm at. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know the proper way to go about it. That's why I'm not in that kind of position. So I can't say one way or another, but I believe withholding money to a government entity that realistically, uh, the United States Postal Service is kind of how everybody gets a lot of their shit nowadays. I mean, I mean FedEx and everything else like that, obviously. But um, yeah, I don't know. And then our Senate going on recess without... Uh, actually solidifying their plan on any type of stimulus package or or what they're going to do 100% unemployment um, and I know I'm just an, I'm just another American bitching about money and I and I've actually maintained my employment throughout this entire thing um, so I really don't have much to complain about honestly uh, per, in my personal life things have been going on going really well um, I bought a house so that took up uh, quite a few months between the last podcast and now We've been in it for a couple months now, and um, uh, personally, uh, there's a lot of stuff to get into. Um, my wife has actually 
uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. To all you survivors out there and people who are currently fighting, uh, my heart is with you. I am personally watching somebody go through that and, and fight. And it is, it is very heavy. It is very, very taxing. Um, obviously, on the person going through it, I mean, I, I personally can't imagine what's going through my wife's mind all the time um she, but she's she's you know in good spirits she uh she's still an awesome mom she's still an amazing wife she she's still taking care of the house you know and she's a uh, she's a trooper man she's she's doing it um but for all you people who are sitting back and and watching your loved ones go through it that's the part that i can be empathetic with because i understand that's that's where i'm at and uh i will tell you that watching someone that you care about most go through something like that it's not easy, it's really not, but like I said, uh, we've been very blessed um, the last few months. I mean, really the last two years have been amazing for us. Uh, our youngest is turning one. I mean, our boys are growing. Uh, they're not gonna be going to school anytime soon. They are gonna be going to online school, so that's all right. They're, they'll still be close to home. Um, and I know that there's, I mean, millions, probably billions of people going through the same thing. Uh, with their kids and schooling and trying to figure out what's going on and then I know that there's also people who are in a much worse position than uh, than I am than than our than our country's in I mean even for all our faults our country's still sitting very pretty um, we're still doing okay uh, it's just a it's just another another hump for everybody to get over and hopefully we, we come out united so anyway uh, done with my little <laughs> ranting and stuff um, I will say before we get into this how much I uh, am kind of bummed that I don't have Fuego or Rocio on this one because I've gotten so used to the idea of somebody um, chiming in and uh, adding to the conversation which, which is always good and it's not just me uh, regurgitating information that anybody really can find online or watch a documentary it's it's an actual discussion so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to cut myself off and actually uh, have a discussion I guess with the air in the room um, and hopefully you guys are, are yelling back and having shit to say to me and it's not just me sitting there fucking babbling for an hour um, and also I hope that with everything going on in the world right now that this is at least a decent distraction I'm gonna yes I'm gonna talk about QAnon right now and we're gonna get into something current but uh, after that we're gonna get right back into where we left off with Ted Bundy it's gonna be his college years and um Maybe hearing about some crazy shit from the past will we'll give you guys a little bit of a breather instead of dealing with the, the crazy shit that's currently going on. So that's kind of my aim. Um, once again, getting into it, there's going to be uh, information that I've probably missed, something that I might have gotten wrong. I do my best to check my sources. I go through multiple websites. I take, you know, I, I look and I take certain passages out of biographies. Um, I even found a really, really, really cool transcript between uh, Ted Bundy and one of his psychologists. Um, that might be on the final episode of this because, you know, it is a profiling podcast. Um, that'd be pretty interesting. Um, or bore you guys to fucking death. Uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe I can convince Fuego or Rocio to, uh, help me act it out. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not Zac Efron, but, uh, you know, I've been in a couple high school musicals. So <laughs> anyway, so, uh, QAnon. All right. So how a recent surge in concern about child sex trafficking has links to online conspiracy community QAnon. So what is QAnon and why does it matter? Now this was actually an article done by uh, Erica Evans on August 12th, so it's fairly recent. Um, it was in the, I believe, Desert Reader, and that's what caught my eye because uh, I live in the fucking desert, so we're gonna go from there. So 
Advocacy against child sex trafficking has surged in recent weeks with concerned individuals posting hashtags like hashtag save the children, hashtag save our children, uh, sharing, I mean, images of young girls or young children. I mean, we've all fucking seen them handcuffed to furnaces and like shadowy male figures in the background and stuff like that. Um, and then there's even been marches of people marching and chanting, you know, child lives matter, which, I mean, Ashton Kutcher, uh, Kelso, he, he, uh, he's doing so much with his foundation, um, to, to help stop child trafficking. And there's, there's plenty of other advocates out there and it's, Anyway, we'll we'll get into all that. So, child exploitation is a widespread problem that has gotten worse during the pandemic. Um, according to Marcy Hamilton, founder of the Legal Director of Child USA, a nonprofit based in Philadelphia that is committed to ending child abuse and neglect, she uh, said her organization has never been busier. Which, I don't know if it's because people are at home more and paying attention to things or looking for something. So, anyway, but an online conspiracy theory community called QAnon, which is what we're talking about may be one of the main drivers of the sudden uptick in posts about child trafficking on social media, um, says Brian Friedberg, a senior researcher at the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at Harvard Kennedy School. So uh, Friedberg worries that many people posting about the issue online may not be aware that QAnon conspiracy theorists have played a key role in making it go viral at this time. Uh, members of the QAnon community, an unorganized group of individuals who sympathize with posts by an anonymous figure, Q, believe that unsubstantiated claim that there is a global child trafficking ring run by powerful people in Hollywood and pol politicians who use children as sacrificial objects either for sadistic pedophilia or to harvest a chemical compound found in blood called adrenochrome. Now, adrenochrome, actually, uh, this was brought up to me by a dude at work. Uh, he was... I, he was going off on some Hillary Clinton fucking something. I there's always conspiracy theory talk at work. Where it's it just happens. You get a bunch of dudes together. You're gonna hear a bunch of silly shit. But what it is, it's um, supposed to be uh, the adrenaline in your blood. Now, when they say adrenochrome and child trafficking, what they're saying is that there's a theory out there that people actually abducting children and pushing them to the brink of, of pure, pure fear, pure, I mean, almost like Monsters, Inc., uh, just pure adrenaline and fear, and then harvesting that blood and using it to keep themselves youthful. Supposedly, that's like the fountain of youth. That is some crazy, satanic conspiracy theory shit. But, um, if it's true, holy fucking shit. And if it's not... Thank fucking God, because that's the most disturbing thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, so anyway, other conspiracy theories pushed by the group touch on issues ranging from politics to science. A common theme is that President Trump is aware of the secret evils in the world and working to fix them. Um, I mean, maybe that's what he meant by drain the swamp. There's, I mean, people have just set Donald Trump up to be a fucking hero. It's, it, uh, he's still, a, I, I don't know. Anyway, the recent wave of advocacy to end child trafficking involving marches planned around July 30th, World Day Against Trafficking in Persons, uh, presents a more palatable view, but it is all ultimately rooted in QAnon, said Travis, um, one of the hosts of a podcast called QAnon Anonymous, which, I mean, take QAnon, take the group Anonymous, combine them together, and you got, I mean, podcast gold. Uh, the people who bind to the general vague abstract save the children message without being aware of its QAnon origins as a new and interesting phenomenon. 
Uh, during the pandemic, interest in QAnon has exploded as people are spending more time on the internet and grappling with overwhelming uncertainties. Um, so, in the last 22 weeks, the interaction rate on QAnon-related Facebook pages has increased 232%. Uh, Google searches, YouTube searches, and Twitter posts have all seen massive increases as well. Um, meanwhile, QAnon rhetoric is sleep or seeping into political discourse. Uh, well-known figures from Roseanne Barr to Trump himself has shared QAnon content. More than a dozen current Republican congressional candidates are self-avowed QAnon sympathizers. And while attention to the issue of child trafficking is undoubtedly a positive thing, View and Friedberg worry that certain posts shared by QAnon supporters are meant to recruit people to the conspiratorial belief system. What that is simply saying is they're more afraid of people simply following the conspiracy than the actual trafficking and, and the conspiracy, the, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? The um, attractiveness of the conspiracy versus the actual grittiness and goriness of, of, of real human trafficking, which is true. Um, on my Facebook feed, I've got friends who post QAnon, who post, I mean, fucking, you would find just all kinds of crazy conspiracy shit. And then I have other friends and family, actually, for that matter, who, who are really pissed off at these people because they say that it's, it's taking away from the actual thing. Like, it's not some lizard demon fucking sacrificial altar underneath the Earth's crust, underneath the Denver airport. That's what the murals mean. It's, it's simply like your fucking neighbor is pimping out his fucking daughter and nobody knows the goddamn signs. Which, more often than not, it is the latter. Um, anyway... So, at a time when misinformation, especially about the coronavirus, is rampant, a group like QAnon is particularly dangerous. Uh, this is something QAnon followers often do. They point to the grain of truth within their own theory, then they extrapolate their entire deranged worldview. Um, it is a growing cult-like extremist movement that is roping in a lot of innocent people. So what is QAnon, or rather, who is QAnon? So QAnon emerged in October of 2017, when the anonymous figure dubbed Q posted on the website 4chan, and everything seems to always come back to 4chan as conspiracy theory. Don't go to 4chan now. It's more like just a bunch of fucking hate rhetoric, and, 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 and I mean, there's a lot of racism. It's, it's, I don't, I don't do the chans anymore, 4chan, HN, I don't do any of that fucking bullshit anymore. But, uh, anyway, so 4chan, a uh, thread about, about Mueller investigation, all right, the Mueller investigation, sorry, Mueller, <laughs> Mueller, the Mueller investigation, uh, when it came to Donald Trump, obviously, um, Q claimed to have high-level government security clearance and insider information about the imminent arrest of Hillary Clinton, according to Friedberg. So, going back, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Pizzagate. Now, Pizzagate has, has been talked about in recent days uh, simply because of QAnon, um, because of the child trafficking. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to get crazy into Pizzagate. There was a lot of weird things in there. There's still... A lot of weird things in there, but it is highly conspiratorial, and it's one of those things where I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk about it. It's going to happen eventually, but we're going to save that for another conspiracy theory episode. Uh, those are just fun. I mean, um, conspiracy theory itself, not not if it's true. If it's true, it fucking sucks. So, but uh, anyway, um, so anyway... That's where it all started. Posting cryptic messages uh, called Q drops for people to decipher is the dude Q from QAnon, and it was, it was mainly about Hillary Clinton and Pizzagate. So we'll try not to show too much 
of me leaning the in any certain direction. I do love conspiracy theory though. So I but I don't I don't want to sit here and be telling you all kinds of crazy shit. So anyway, after being kicked off of 4chan, moving to 8chan, and finally ending up on a website called 8kun, uh, K-U-N, I, hmm, uh, Q continues to post. There have been more than 4,000 Q drops since 2017, but to this day, no one knows who Q is. The QAnon community, however, stretches far beyond those who use the 8KUN, and its philosophies encompasses numerous conspiracy theories without direct links to Q's posts. And James Tabry, associate professor of philosophy at the University of Utah, who has studied conspiracy thinking. Um, rather, QAnon is a network of people across platforms who sympathize with Q's messages that there is a deep state cabal set on exploiting the good people of the world and undermining Trump's presidency. The Pizzagate conspiracy acted as a springboard for QAnon, said. So, like I said, like I said, but that debunked rumor, which gained steam during the 2016 presidential election, accused Hillary Clinton and other high-ranking Democratic Party officials of operating a child sex trafficking ring with the cooperation of restaurants like Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C. It culminated in Edgar Madison Walsh, a 28-year-old man from North Carolina, traveling to the restaurant armed with an AR-15-style rifle in an attempt to rescue the alleged children's sex slaves. He was arrested after firing three shots, and no one was injured. Uh, more recently, the arrest and death of convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein in 2019 and the arrest of his alleged accomplice, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, this year has stoked the flames of QAnon's beliefs in a mass network of powerful people. Participating in a human trafficking scheme, Tabri said, Dozens of women have come forward saying they were sexually abused by Epstein, including many who have said that they were underage at the time and were also abused by Epstein's friends. Now, here's the thing about Epstein's death real quick, what I'm going to get into, and then that's it. Um... When I said that people stood a lot to lose, here's the thing. After he died, there's no more putting him on the stand. There's no more questioning him. There's no more. It's 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 more or less the people who were abused, once they prove everything, um, the only thing that they could really do at this point is sue, sue his estate, you know, get monetary compensation, essentially hush money, blood money, you know, and it's, it's kind of sad that, that that's what's left. That's why I'm kind of hoping Ghislaine Maxwell, if there is anything to tell, has something to tell. Uh, so anyway, while QAnon's theories about international sex trafficking may be mingled with true speculation, doesn't stop there. Some sympathizers have pushed unfounded theories that John F. Kennedy is still alive, that Trump planned the Mueller probe into mobilized personnel and investigate resources that would uncover Democrats' wrongdoing, and that figures like Bill Gates and Bill Clinton are responsible for the coronavirus. Part of what's difficult about trying to characterize QAnon is that it is so amorphous said Tabri. Ask 10 different QAnon sympathizers what they believe and you will get 10 different answers. Which is super, super true. That's the thing about conspiracy theory. Nobody ever just sticks to the one thing. Um, so QAnon is more than a single conspiracy. It's an entire belief system or way of thinking that people buy into. The general principle of QAnon is that whatever the mainstream narrative is, whatever science or the medical authorities is saying, is really a front and the truth is something worse and more sinister. And I will leave that shit at that. That is essentially what QAnon is. It's the whole idea of like, okay, well, turn around and look behind, read between those lines, decipher this, do that. And that's what people are having the, the most issue with it when it comes to, uh, to the child sex trafficking. Because... A lot of it is blatant and in your face you just have to look for the right signs of just the way that the the victim acts um, whereas with QAnon it's people believing that it's something more systemic it's something deeper um, 
which with the rate that kids go missing and how many kids are missing and just the debacle at the border when all those kids were separated from their parents, all these poor immigrant children that might never see their parents. I mean, it, it does beg the question if it is, I, there's just a lot of bad looks in the government. There's a lot of bad looks in the media. Um, it's, it's all bad. It's all bad. I mean, one kid goes missing, it's fucking bad. But nine times out of ten, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the missing children in my state, the majority of them have actually been uh, runaways from from foster groups or foster homes. It's it's sad. It's just really sad that uh, that so many things are happening to to children. I mean, that's that's the nitty gritty of it. And we cover a lot of terrible shit that happens to children on this podcast. And uh, it it doesn't get any easier. I definitely need a palate cleanser after every episode. But I mean, they're they're true stories. They're things that you need to look for. That's that's why I like having a profiling podcast. I mean, we don't obviously none of us have psychological degrees, psychology degrees, um, but we're all interested. I mean, Rocio's probably the closest, honestly. But um, it's 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 interesting to watch to look for certain aspects of human behavior. And as more and more of this comes to light. You know, depending on how high profile or even low profile, I mean, just just who these fucking people are to get a better understanding of the mentality of it and maybe break more of these things up or see where the fucking money goes. I mean, I read a post the other day on Facebook, which I know was on Facebook, but they said it was like an $800 billion a year uh, operation, which, I mean, I can't fucking tell you whether or not that that's true, but, you know, it, it is interesting that it, it could be. I mean... Why not? I mean, how much do drugs make? I'm sure people go a lot higher, more expensive than drugs. So, but that's that's it. That's pretty much the uh, the nitty gritty of QAnon, where where it stems from, what it's about, what kind of people look into it. Uh, avoid 4chan, avoid 8chan. Don't don't go on any of those things. You, you're better people than that. Um, and let's get into uh, Ted Bundy. Um, so, as I was saying before, uh, we kind of went over his childhood um on the last episode we left off with the idea that maybe he had committed his first murder at 14 um still no no proof of that obviously um and so we're gonna get into it this is his university years i'm gonna i'm today we're gonna cover uh essentially just washington um because there was a lot he actually said that if you watch the ted bunny tapes he, he had a very interesting quote where he told um, one of the interviewers, um, that if they, or I'm sorry, not the interviews, but the, uh, the sheriff of Florida, I believe he told him that if, if, and when they find the real person, he will have murders in the three digits and across six states. And Ted Bundy did not get murders in the three digits, but he did hit double digits and he hit a very high number of double digits. He's actually been referred to as the, uh, the Jack the Ripper of America, so, which, Jack the Ripper only had five, so uh, Ted Bundy was an overachiever. So here we go. University years. So in 1965, Bundy graduated from Woodrow Wilson High, awarded a scholarship by the University of Puget Sound, UPS. Mm -hmm. He began that fall taking courses in psychology and oriental studies. After two semesters of UPS, he decided to transfer to Seattle's University of Washington. Now, while a university student, Bundy worked as a grocery bagger and shelf stalker at a Seattle Safeway store on Queen Anne Hill, as well as other odd jobs. As part of his course of studies in psychology, he would later work as a night shift volunteer at Seattle Suicide Hotline, um, which is a very interesting fact, a, a murderer trying to talk people from taking their own lives. Um, maybe he just didn't want the competition. 
uh, suicide crisis center that served the greater Seattle metropolitan and uh, suburban areas. There, he met and worked alongside former Seattle policewoman and fledging crime writer Ann Rule, who would later write a biography of Bundy and his crimes, The Stranger Beside Me, which actually is a pretty good read. Um, some of the information that I got actually comes from that book. Um, very interesting. So he began a relationship with fellow university student Stephanie Brooks, um, whom he met while enrolled at UW in 1967. So following her 1968 graduation and return to her family home in California, she ended the relationship fed up with what she described as Bundy's immaturity and lack of ambition. And Ted, when he dated, liked to date high. He had the thing for... for he, he always viewed himself as, as a higher standard, as a more classier person. So he's, he always went with the same thing with his women. Um, unfortunately, though, he was always stricken with a lot of uh, insecurities. He, uh, he never really thought that he would be exactly what these women wanted. I mean, he would you know, confess to that later, that he, he always had um, really poor um, self-image when it came to these women, thinking that he would never be able to provide the things that they want, that they would be able to get. Um, anyway, so, let's see here, I'm sorry, <laughs> anyway, rule states that around this time, Bundy decided to pay a visit to his birthplace, Burlington, Vermont. There, according to rule, he visited the local records clerk and finally uncovered the truth of his parentage. Um, after his discovery, Bundy became a more focused and dominant person. In 1968, he managed the Seattle office of Nelson Rockefeller's presidential campaign and attended the 1968 Republican Convention in Miami, Florida, as a Rockefeller supporter. Now, there's there's multiple uh, talks of when he might have discovered who his real parents were. Uh, according to the documentary, he, he figured it out at 14, not so much who his real parents were, the fact that there was no father on the birth certificate. Um, let's see, uh, Bundy became an honor student and was well-liked by his professors in 1969. He started dating Elizabeth Clover, uh, Clayfer, Clover, Clover, um, we're gonna go with Clover, a divorce secretary with a daughter who fell deeply in love with him. Uh, they would continue dating for more than six years until he went to prison for kidnapping in 1976. Now, they had an on-again, off-again relationship. She also um, moved away uh, back to California. Um, it was... It, we actually get into uh, a little bit more with Liz. She was one of the first people to actually call into the Seattle police about Ted Bundy, um, asking them to maybe look into him because he had done a few things or said a few things that kind of left her... Um, a little uneasy, uh, and, and rightly so, obviously, uh, but before that, we'll, you know, we'll talk about this. Um, Bundy graduated in 1972 from the University of Washington with a degree in psychology. Soon afterward, he again went to work for the state Republican Party, which included a close relationship with government, Governor Daniel J. Evans. Uh, during the campaign, Bundy followed Evans' Democratic opponent around the state, tape recording his speeches, and reporting back to Evans personally. A minor scandal later followed when the Democrats found out about Bundy, who had been posing as a college student. Um, there's actually a few uh, news channels, uh, like recordings, that you can find after they caught Ted Bundy, where he's giving an interview, and just, I mean, being uh, arrogant as all hell. I mean, it was a telltale sign of his personality already. Um, I wouldn't say that you could tell that he was a sociopath. You would just think that he's a person that really believes in his candidate 
and uh, didn't mind being a dickhead on camera towards the other guy. Um, but when you rope it in together after the fact and you look at everything that he did over the years, you're like, man, he showed so many fucking signs of being a sociopath. Like, they were all there. Um, anyway, so in fall of 1973, Bundy enrolled. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In the law school at the University of Utah, but he did poorly. He began skipping classes, finally dropping out in the spring of 1974. That was actually a huge hit for Bundy. He he's always been in his mind a great student, an athlete. I mean, you know, just king shit of fuck mountain, really. And he uh, he did terrible. I mean, the whole reason he went to Utah is because he couldn't get into U.S. Um, U.S.P. or whatever the hell it was, um, because he. Uh, he tested so poorly. Like, one of the few schools that would take him were actually the University of Utah. And while in Utah, he actually uh, went and got baptized and uh, got converted to Mormonism. Um, I mean, he this dude was all over the map. All over the map. He, he, all over the map. So, while on a business trip to California in the summer of 1973, Bundy came back into his ex-girlfriend, Stephanie Brooks, life with a new look and attitude, this time as a serious, dedicated professional who had been accepted to law school. Bundy continued to date uh, Elizabeth as well, and neither woman was ever aware of the other one existing. Uh, Bundy quarter Brooks throughout the rest of the year. So in 1974, he unceremoniously dumped her, refusing to return her phone calls. A few weeks after this breakup, Bundy began a murderous rampage in Washington State. Um, so now we're getting to the nitty-gritty. We're talking about the murders here. So Washington State. So no one knows exactly where and when Bundy began killing. Many Bundy experts, including Rule and former King County Detective Robert D. Keppel, believe Bundy may have started killing as far back as his early teens, which we discussed at 14. Now... I want you to pay attention to that. King County, okay? So the murder started happening in King County. If you go back to some of our previous episodes, um, King County was actually the last place that Kenneth Bianchi, one half of the Hillside Stranglers, had had killed uh, when he killed the two young women in, in King King County, Washington. So that's I thought it kind of interesting that all this was going on in the 1970s. I mean back to back to back to back all up the west coast i mean we're, we're going to spend a lot of time on the west coast with with what's going on i know that with the alphabet murders um we covered rochester but even then i tied that into kenneth bianchi and, and what was going on over there um still an unsafe case by the way so uh anywho um many bunny experts believe that he started killing at a young age killing, um i mean 
Anne Mary Burr, an eight-year-old girl from Tacoma, vanished from her home in 1961 when Bundy was 14 years old. We covered that. Though Bundy always denied killing her, the day before his execution, Bundy told his lawyer that he made his first attempt to kidnap a woman in 1969 and implied that he committed his first actual murder sometime in 1972. At one point in his death row confessions with uh, Keppel, Bundy said he committed his first murder in 1972. And towards the end, he didn't seem to hold anything back. So in 1973, one of Bundy's Republican Party friends saw a pair of handcuffs in the back of Bundy's Volkswagen, just like Elizabeth had actually called into the police station saying that she saw a knife under the right seat of his Volkswagen. And at the time, when all these murders were going on, um, there was a search for a, a tan, darker-colored uh, Volkswagen. Now, there was actually over 42,000 in Washington at the time, VW Bugs. When they narrowed it down, and, and and keep in mind that a lot of the people had said the word Ted. There was a lot of people throwing the name Ted out there. Um, Ted was the killer. Ted was this. Ted was that. Um, they, they got the name Ted. A uh, few failed attempts to grab people, and all they got was the name Ted. So, now they're looking for a Ted who owns a Volkswagen um, out, of, out of all these people. And with that, they actually got it narrowed, narrowed down to 100. And when Liz called, when Liz called, she said that they should really look into him um, and happened to mention that her boyfriend's name was Ted Bundy. So actually, August 8th of 1974 is when Elizabeth called into Washington Police Station um, asking them to look into her boyfriend, Ted Bundy. Now, ten, Ted maintained you know his innocence the entire time I mean he, he is mentioned in the following uh, sortie girls he had mentioned to her that he had a thing for following sortie girls at night um, that he people watched um, you know and that was all signs to her that were uh, a little off also um, the night Brenda Ball disappeared who we're gonna get into here soon um, he was with Liz and her family uh, for dinner, but he left the dinner party early and was late the next day for Liz's daughter's baptism. Um, so she kind of started thinking that maybe, maybe he had something to do with it. She always had an uneasy feeling about him. So, and yet, you know, still stuck with him <laughs> until 1976. So not the best at making good choices. Um so he was for many years a suspect in December 1973, murder of Kathy Devine in Washington State, but DNA analysis led to another man's arrest and conviction for that crime in 2002. Bunny's earliest known identified murders were committed in 1974 when he was 27. So shortly after midnight on January 4th, 1974, Bundy entered the basement bedroom of 18-year-old Joni Lenz, a dancer and student at uh, University of Washington. Bundy bludgeoned her with a metal rod, from her bed frame while she slept and sexually assaulted her with a speculum. Uh, Lenz was found the next morning by her roommate in a coma and lying in a pool of her own blood. She survived the attack but suffered permanent brain damage. Bundy's next victim, next victim was Linda Ann Healy, another University of Washington student, and also his cousin's roommate. Uh, in the early morning hours of February 1st, 1974, Bundy broke into Healy's room, knocked her unconscious, dressed her in jeans and a shirt, uh, wrapped her in a bed sheet and carried her away. Coeds began disappearing at a rate of roughly one a month. On March 12, 1974, in Olympia, Bundy kidnapped and murdered Donna Gail Manson, a 19-year-old student at the Evergreen State College. On April 17, 1974, Susan Rancourt disappeared from the campus of Central Washington State College 
In Ellensburg, later two different CWSC co-eds would recount meeting a man with his arm in a cast. Uh, one that night, one three nights earlier, who had asked for their help to carry a load of books to his Volkswagen Beetle. Next was Kathy Parks, uh, last seen on the campus of Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon on May 6, 1974. Brenda Ball was never seen again after leaving the, f uh, the Flame Tavern in Burion on June 1st, 1974. Bundy then murdered George Ann Hawkins, a student at U University of Washington and a member of Kappa Alpha Theta, an on-campus sorority. In the early morning hours of June 11, 1974, she walked through an alley from her boyfriend's dormitory residence to her sorority house. She was never seen again. Witnesses later reported seeing a man with a leg cast struggling to carry a briefcase in the area that night. Uh, one co-ed reported that the man had asked for her help in carrying the briefcase to his car, a Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, Bunny's Washington killing spree culminated on July 14, 1974, with the daytime abduction of Janice Ott and Denise Naslin from Lake uh, Sammamish State Park in Asakawa. That day, eight different people actually told the police about the handsome young man with his left arm in a sling who called himself Ted. Five of them were uh, women whom Ted asked for help unloading a sailboat from his beetle. One of them actually went with Ted as far as his car, where there was no sailboat, before declining to accompany him any farther. Three more witnesses testified to seeing him approach Ott with the story about the sailboat and to seeing her walk away from the beach in his company she was never seen alive again Naslin disappeared without a trace four hours later um, so King County detectives now had a description both of the suspect and his car some witnesses told investigators that the Ted they encountered spoke with a clipped British like accent soon flyers were up all over the Seattle area after seeing the police sketch and description of the Lake Sammamish suspect in both of the local newspapers and on television news reports, Bunny's girlfriend, one of his psychology professors at University of Washington, and former co-worker Ann Rule all reported him as a possible suspect. We covered that. Um, the police receiving up to 200 tips per day did not pay any special attention to a tip about a clean-cut law student, which was what Bundy was. The fragment remains of Ott and Naslin were discovered on September 7, 1974, off Interstate 90 near Isakawa, one mile from the park. Found along with the woman's remains was an extra femur bone and vertebrae, which Bundy would identify as that of George Ann Hawkins shortly before his execution. Before March 1st and March 3rd, 1975, the skulls and jawbones of Healy, Rancourt, Parks, and Ball were all found on Taylor Mountain, just east of Isakawa. Years later, Bundy claimed that he had also dumped Donna Manson's body there, but no trace of her was ever found. Um, that was just Washington. He would go on later to not only represent himself in court, but to escape jail twice, um, to get married, to start a family, all while on death row. Uh, he's got a very interesting case. Um, I mean, this is just the beginning of it. It's it's crazy. Um, after watching the documentary and reading more on him, um, he's he's fascinating. He honestly thought, probably till the day he died, that he was smarter than everyone else. I mean, when there was just I mean, crazy amounts of people outside of the prison, you know hailing burn Bundy burn and everybody losing their minds he's actually telling the FBI detective that he's talking to that you know and they say I'm crazy listen to them out there they're the crazy ones um, 
he actually has like a Hannibal Lecter style feel to him later on. He actually helps um, FBI detectives start creating profiles. I mean, he, he is fascinating. He was one of the first cases where interstate um, policing started working, where they actually started communicating to try and, and try and actually narrow this dude down. Like get get him. And it, the, what's even crazier is that both times that he was caught were just routine traffic stops. I mean, the crazy amount of luck. Like he could have just kept going and going and going, and he traffic stops got him. Traffic stops and, and 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 illegal credit cards in his possession. We're gonna we're gonna get into all that. It, it gets it gets crazy. I mean, Ted Bundy is definitely. And I wish that I was a little bit further into the podcasting game before taking on such a huge case. I didn't quite realize what I was dipping my toes into, but I mean, I'm ready. I'm I'm excited for it. I mean, I'm, I at least have the uh, fascination with the case enough to to try and deliver you guys good information. Um, I know today's episode was short and sweet. I did not have my usual team, um, but I had to give you guys something. Also, announcements. Uh, so, I'm going to also be doing um, side profiles where I'm going to start talking about crimes and music. Um, I, I feel like it'd be kind of cool to mix the two things that I enjoy doing. I like to play music, and I like to do podcasts, and I like true crime, so why not fuse the two and start talking about uh crimes and music so if you guys have any suggestions uh go ahead and in the uh, show description we have the links to instagram our facebook our, our, our email sentartainment at gmail.com um and just give me some cool ideas i mean i'm not gonna do biggie and tupac right away i, I mean <laughs> i'm not you know I'm, i want to do uh, uh some more obscure things so uh just just cool cases it doesn't all have to be metal it doesn't all have to be and god is there a lot of a lot of crime and rap and metal but just just cool little little stuff it doesn't have to be crazy you know murder cases or anything else like that i mean it, it, it i want something more than just a drug charge obviously but uh just cool little stories if you guys know of any that you would like to hear or or have us look into and and kind of do our way um once again sorry for the absence of fuego and rocio but you guys can still find them on all their socials fuego is jaime and fuego on everything facebook Instagram. He he also is a podcast host with the Horror Show. So check out the Horror Show six 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 at the Horror Show on Facebook. Uh, you can also check out his Hell to Stephen King page. Rocio's got a podcast started also on the side. Um, I don't. I probably should have got that information from her, but she is Rocio Onak on uh, most of her socials. Uh, so check her out. Her husband, my buddy Mahalo, also. Uh, plays in a band with Fuego called Chiron. So check out Chiron Band AZ on Facebook.com. They got a lot going on. Um, yeah, and that's about it. Uh, more information to come, way more detail to come. Um, I think the next case after this might actually be Richard Ramirez. So we're starting the research on that as well. Um, that's another crazy case. Actually, uh, a friend of mine from Stubborn Old Bastard, a uh, metal band out here in Arizona, uh, wants wants me to do Richard Ramirez, so I figured uh, I would I would accommodate, since he is a good friend, um, and also it's a very interesting case. And the guy that was on the Richard Ramirez case was also on uh, either the Hillside Stranglers case or on the Richard Chase case. So there's a little bit of tie in there too. So it's kind of cool to see these detectives um, just putting away these these evil bastards. But uh, other than that, um, 
you guys keep up the good fight keep doing what you're doing um you know stay strong hopefully uh corona goes away hopefully murder bees all die off hopefully all the children are found hopefully beirut recovers well prayers and vibes um and uh fuck man hopefully america survives this next election and uh don't don't ever normalize systemic anything ever if it's systemic issue then then try to change that it's the next generation that's going to change that for sure so don't don't ever normalize hate don't ever normalize uh racism don't don't even normalize just being dicks to each other you know uh just be be good be good to each other be kind um fuck with each other definitely you have to do that but uh don't don't forget that we're all we're all the human race we're all uh we're all one we're all connected somehow uh whether it be the universal subconscious whether it be bloodline whether it be uh just the universe in general but we're all on this rock trying to figure shit out at the same time we don't need to make it any fucking harder for our kids than it's already going to be you know half of us are just pretending to know what we're doing i know i am you know I, i i'm trying to prep my kids to be good adults and i'm still trying to figure out how to be one so just uh just don't be a dick i guess is the moral of that story but anyway uh i love you beautiful bastards um thank you for, for hanging out uh next episode there'll be more detail more gore more everything that you guys actually fucking enjoy and hopefully more personalities on the show and not just me talking into the dark but uh thanks for hanging out i appreciate it and you guys uh stay safe and stay metal mofos